Greetings. We offer these podcasts freely, and your support really makes a difference. To make a donation, please visit tarbrock.com. Namaste. Greetings, friends. Thank you for joining us. So this session is a special one. And um, I have a guest teacher with me who I'm really excited for you to meet and to learn from. It's been a great inspiration in my life. And this is Minyur Rinpoche. He's a Tibetan teacher and master of the Karma Kagyu and the Nyingma lineages of Tibetan Buddhism. And he oversees the Turgar Meditation Community, which is an international network of Buddhist meditation centers. Um, He's authored a number of books, and I really highly recommend them. The most recent is called In Love with the World. And of course, I love that title. And it chronicles his near-death experience at the beginning of a four-and-a-half-year wandering retreat. So you'll hear more about that. But for now, just uh, welcome Rinpoche. Thank you you. for being with us. Very happy to be with all of you. Yeah, it's a pleasure. Well, maybe since I mentioned In Love with the World, the book, and your experience we could start right there. I mean, I would love to know how the title came about because so many people love that title. And then to hear, yeah, just to hear anything you want to share about the four and a half years. So in Tibetan Buddhism, we have this style of wandering retreat. So when I was a child, my mom used to read the life story of Milareva like bedtime story. So I was born in the Himalayan mountain, it's quite cold. So after that, we, we will have dinner around the fire. And after having dinner, and she will read the life story of Milareva. And my grandma will cry. And I cry. Mama, my mom cried. <laughs> <laughs> we'll cry in the end. <laughs> so this uh, life story is wonderful. So that in my kind of like always in my my mind so then i did three year retreat and finished the traditional shetha like monastic college and i've been teaching meditation many places around the world but i really want to do this wandering retreat meaning you left everything behind and go on street by yourself so then finally 2011, I did that. I left my monastery from Bodhgaya in the middle of the night and I had a few thousand Indian rupees. So at the beginning, it was really difficult because I never went out like that, even one day. So my I have the title of Rinpoche. So it's kind of like the special title. And the, wherever I go, people, oh, you know, <laughs> and they treat me, you know. Like Prince. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes what I call Dharma Prince. <laughs> yeah. So then suddenly go out and then I'm there on the the railway near the Bodhgaya. And now in you have to push and then 
you know, I try to get in, I'm stuck. What happened? I have small backpack. So there's two people between me and my backpack. <laughs> I cannot go in, I cannot come out. So there's a lot of neurosis in my book, <laughs> In Love with the World. But then eventually, what happened is uh, I finished these few thousand rupees. Then I was alone on the street by myself. Then no money, so I have to beg the food. And I went to beg food and I got food poison. Diarrhea, vomiting for four, five days. Only water there. So then the water is the pump. pump. So in India, we have this pump well, right? So then water comes, you have to run. Then when you try to get the water, water is already finished. <laughs> so then I feel like, oh, this is dirty. The street is uh, unsafe. There's a lot of dogs around there, mosquitoes. And thieves might be there. And in the night, when I go into the bush, all the dogs will chase after me. Daytime, we are quite friends. But nighttime, you know. <laughs> So then after a few days later, I almost die because of no medicine, no food. And I have this wonderful experience, that dissolution experience that is beyond word. The awareness is really present. And there's a thinking now when we think about apple, this image, voice, sensation, all this is gone. Yet... I know what's going on. There's no front, back, no up, down. So a few hours like that. Then I feel like, oh, there's something. Something is not finished. Feeling like something is kind of like left. I need to do something. Kind of like that slowly become kind of like compassion, love. It becomes stronger, stronger. And then I feel my body suddenly. I can move. I can move a little bit, and I can hear like that. There's a some kind of like sound that before real sound comes, then then I can open. It's a blur, slowly, slowly clear. So when I come back, now looks like everything's changed. Now street become like my home, and there's trees there, and the trees are so alive what I call the tree of love. And the wind blows very hot. The wind touched my skin. So joyful. And really appreciate that I'm alive. And the feeling of unsafe is gone. So the whole entire world become like my home. So then after that, then actually I survive very well. Actually, everything quite went well, although I don't have much money. I beg food and sometimes people give me money. Otherwise, I don't have much. But that sense that love, when you love the world, the world loves you back. So that's, that's the, some kind of a feeling that I have. So the book title become like that. Wow, that sounds like real inner freedom to feel that safety that comes from being in love with the world and the world loving you back. And I'm wondering, 
did that continue afterwards? Do you move through the world and feel that same kind of communion? Yeah. So from that wonderful, I mean, the very, very difficult, of, of course, I almost died. But for me, this is one of the best experience in my life. So this joy, some kind of contentment, and the deeper level, there's some kind of fearless. So I, I kind of like experience that I cannot die. The luminous mind, the, the awareness mind is that cannot be die. So that is always with me. Of course, the lives up and down, lives like wave, wave of the ocean. So we will face a lot of uh, problems, obstacles, so many things. But the deeper level, the sense of this joy and contentment is with me almost all the time. Mm. Has it affected your relationships with other people? Like, did your way of being in relationship with others change out of that? Yeah, I think I see good people, basically. Sometimes become quite problematic, you know. So I, I can easy to connect with the people. Even the people is very difficult. But for me, so difficult. There's a lot of things, that good things, what I call innate qualities, manifesting. So, so many ways we can connect through them. Once we connect, become a good friend. So I see that everywhere. Mm. So then, you, you see really the goodness. You see their, the expression of Buddha nature coming through that particular person. Yeah. And this is really good for me because now I'm overseeing the meditation kind of like groups, centers, and I'm also in charge of monasteries. So when I work with the people, it's really good. So we have become good friends. So I'm curious because your experience was so dramatic um, of near death and disillusion. And if somebody's listening and they want to say, well, in my life, how do I go through my life and find that same kind of sense of being in love with everything, that fearless heart without having a near-death experience. And I'm curious, you know, what your how you would respond. I think in this 21st century, we are having that kind of like what I call bardo moment. So the bardo moment is uh, the transition of the life. When we become 18 years old, there's a big bardo. We leave from family, look for your own work, job, career, whatever. And then someday you may lost job, big part of. Sometimes suddenly you get a promotion, big part of. Starting new relationship, part of moment, big part of moment. Oh, break, broken heart, big part of. So all this transition has great, sometimes what I call, it has plasticity moment. These moments are really the moment that we can really transform. We can really grow, learn. Otherwise, we have this um, normal cocoon. All of us, we have this cocoon. So break that cocoon is very difficult. And these up and down, we are facing all the times. The important is we need to embrace it. And then how to 
transform that as new opportunity. Sometimes what I call, we are dying every day. But the death is not really death. Actually, death is the birth. So birth, death, equal. That is powerful because what it's basically saying when I take it in is that in every moment there's there's the kind of change that in some way there's a dying or letting go of some holding or self and an opening to something larger. Now, for a lot of us, some of the changes um, are really scary and unwanted. And so the tendencies to contract and resist against them, if you find yourself in one of those where somebody you love has a terminal disease or you've lost a job that was actually to help you support, you know, three children, um, how do you take and you use the word bardo, you might explain what bardo is for people who are listening. How do you let that be a bardo moment when you really are concerned about other people's suffering? So the bardo meaning in between the moment. So in our life is up and down. When we go down, there's a bardo. When you go up, there's a bardo. In between moment, the plasticity moment or transformation moment. So like when I was young, my father said, if you are going somewhere, then in the end, you reach the dead end. There's a huge wall in front of you. Then what do you have to do? First, you take out your backpack, throw over other side of the wall. So once your backpack is other side of the wall, now you will think and use and explore which and ways maybe you can cross the wall but don't cross like that way that's impossible the wall here and you bang your head to the wall i need to you know everything is possible i'm going to go through you will have the you know big potato <laughs> what we call you will have the bump on the head bump on the head yeah thank you <laughs> <laughs> so but there's so many ways when we accept the impermanence, when we accept the change, when we accept the uh, up and down, there's so many different doors, opportunities, possibilities, potentials, so many things there. And normally we will not see it if we fix with that one way. So, of course, in my life, I'm, I had a lot of experience. First is the panic attacks. So really, when I was young, I had very strong panic attacks. But then actually, these panic attacks really helped me to learn and grow. So now I'm become this meditation teacher because of panic attacks. So though that's really difficult, but the problem is sometimes we give up. But don't give up, but let it go. So letting go, it's not the same as giving up. So there's a which and ways, many things that can, uh, can be possible. You mentioned the panic attacks and how they uh, really were part of you becoming who you are, you know, learning. Can you share a little more? Because so many experience um, 
panic attacks, anxiety, trauma, anything you might want to share about, okay, it comes, your whole body's gripped by it. What next? Right. So I had some kind of panic attacks when I was uh, seven, eight years old. I think seven, when I was seven, is there, but I didn't know. Then when I was eight, it's become very strong. So I have strong fear for storms. I was born in the middle of Himalaya mountain. We have in the winter snowstorm, very wind and snow go up, down, right, left also. In the West, snow only come down, right? In Himalayas, snow go everywhere <laughs> with a strong wind. And summer we have thunderstorm, lightning and very strong sound, entire mountain is shaking. And then I fear of strangers. I cannot sleep in the night, tied around my neck. Mm. I feel like I'm going to die now, so I cannot breathe well. So then when I was nine years old, my mom is my friend, you know. I discuss this with my mom. So I this very difficult feeling. I cannot sleep and special cannot breathe. She said, maybe you should learn meditation from your father. And I was very shy to ask my father because my father was a great meditation teacher. He's a kind of like Rinpoche, like high title meditation teacher. Everybody respect him. So I thought maybe he will not accept. Maybe he will say, mm, you're too young to learn meditation. So I had this shy shyness. But one day he said, oh, you want to learn meditation, right? I said, yes. Who told you? <laughs> so I begin to learn meditation from him. So, and eventually he said, don't try to run away from panic. Don't try to fight with the panic. Because for me, panic or panic, fear of panic mm-hmm. is more than panic. So then I learned the step by step, a technique, how to make friends with the panic. So in the end, of course, it's not the overnight. It took me five years. I learned medit- meditation when I was nine, 10, 11, 12, 13. I was in the retreat, three-year retreat. I really pushed my father to ask my guru, Daishid Rinpoche, he accepted me. Went to this three-year retreat. I thought, I'm lazy actually, when I was young. What I call lazy boy. I love the idea of meditation, but I don't like the practice of meditation. <laughs> I thought it's good for me if I do three years retreat. First month, wonderful. Second month, lazy comeback. Now my panic becomes worse than before because it's in the retreat. And then lazy, and lazy and panic become a good friend. <laughs> so then I thought, what should I do? Should I leave? I don't want to leave also because I told all my friends that I can do this retreat. So I don't want to lose my face. Because when, when we were young, peer, peer pressure, pressure is very important, isn't it? But if I stay more than three years to go, it's three years and three months. Now it's just first month. So then in the end, I thought, okay, now I'm really going to apply the meditation technique that what I learned from my teachers, that how to make friends with the panic. So I decided to live with my panic, not get rid of my panic or try to free my panic. 
to learn how to live with the panic. So then after a few weeks later, symptoms still there, the symptom of panic, tightness, the heart, had been speed up, sweating, syllabus up and down. But at deeper level, I feel quite excited, you know. <laughs> I can watch. And there's a technique about how panic becomes support for awareness, love and compassion, wisdom, three things with the panic. And there's some kind of like excitement, but really also difficult. Slowly, slowly, when the panic comes, it doesn't, it doesn't mind. The panic of panic, fear of panic is gone. The symptoms still there. And after a certain level, panic really become my friend, my teacher. Eventually, panic is also gone. So it sounds like a key piece here is that you had two skills and one was you could begin to observe that you weren't completely identified, that you had the awareness that was witnessing the panic, which which gives it more space. And the other is that your whole attitude towards it changed. So rather than it being an enemy, it became just a part of life that was here that you actually intuited you could grow from. So you became interested. And interest is... I know in my own life, as soon as something that's difficult becomes interesting, automatically there's more clarity, more space, more capacity to be with. Yeah, absolutely. So normally I'm teaching nowadays this course, step-by-step -step course, how to really, what I call joy living, meditation, workshops, sometimes retreats, so why joy of living? Now world is really turbulent. There's a lot of problems. How you can live your life joyful? So the my idea, or not my only this lineage, this meditative lineage idea is two things. First, discover the innate quality that we all have. The first teaching, what I received from my father, he said, you don't need to run away or fight with the panic. He said, you know, the sky in the Himalayan mountains are quite nice and clear. I said, yes, yes, I love that space. He said, when the storm comes, do you like? I said, no, 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 I don't like storm. And he said, these storms can change the nature of sky or not? I said, yeah, no, no matter how strong storm comes it will never change the nature of sky he said something we have this inner sky the innate fundamental quality which is awareness love and compassion wisdom together and that is the essence of your panic so anger jealousy desire depression guilt stress everything the deeper level, the essence is this awareness and love and compassion and wisdom. So he said, no need to fight. So that has really helped me. And then he teach me systematically how to discover that inner sky. So first important is to discover that. Second, how to discover? Making everything as your friend. 
So what do you see? Visual object form from the ear sound, smell, taste, and especially important is sensation, the bodily sensation and feeling. And the thought, emotion, everything can be support for awareness, love and compassion, wisdom. So this tool to discover the innate quality through making everything as support for awareness, love and compassion, wisdom. It's um, in a way, the way I'm hearing it, Rinpoche, is that it's two ways that the more you trust that your innate nature is that sky, is that wakefulness and that compassion and that openness, the more you can actually befriend the weather systems that come. And the more that you befriend the weather systems, the more you trust, oh, I'm not those systems. They're changing. There's nothing that's staying the same. And then you sense that really your nature is that sky. So it sounds like you're teaching both directions. Yes. Correct. Absolutely. So my panic, my father said, my panic is like this storm. So actually, why there is storm? Because of sky, because of space. Actually, space is allowing the cloud or storm. So sometimes you can connect sky through cloud. Ah, there is cloud. That means there is space. There is sky. So by connecting with this weather system, the cloud, you can connect the inner sky. That's beautiful. One of the ways that I practice that myself is if fear comes up, I sense it as life, loving life. It's trying to protect. It's here to protect. And when I sense it as life, loving life, I can sense the awareness that it's that's its source and rest in that awareness and make room for it. But if in some way I get caught in thinking this is wrong, this is bad, then I'm at war, I'm at odds with what's going on, and I stay stuck in the weather system. Yes. But that phrase, life-loving life, has really helped me a lot, that there's nothing that comes up. There's no emotion in the world that is outside of that. They're all in some way trying to promote life, express life, you know, preserve life. Yes, that's what we call innate love and compassion. All this behind all this, even panic, depression, anger, hatred, whatever, when you look at the deeper level, it's want to be free. Don't want to, we don't want to have suffering. That is the fundamental driving force, fundamental intention, fundamental feeling. And that feeling is when we look at the more deeper level, is love. So love is one to be happy, happy, one to be nice, virtue, meaningful. Compassion is wanting to free from problem, suffering, obstacle. And that is with us all the time. Right now, I'm talking. Each movement is embedded with the 
with that love and compassion. So I'm blinking my eyes, looking for happiness. If I don't blink too long, become cause of suffering. I'm breathing, also looking for happiness. I'm, you know, doing something like this. If, if I sit this too long and uncomfortable, oh, this is a little bit relaxed. Relax. So each movement, each breath, each thought, each emotion is the expression of love and compassion. So that's what we call innate love and compassion. And that love and compassion is one with awareness and also one with the wisdom. So that is our fundamental nature. Of course, when my father told me at the beginning, I didn't believe. So one time, you know, we, we are having lunch together. My father stayed in the nunnery in the Kathmandu on the mountain. And this nunnery has a lot of dogs because village, local village, they throw dogs there and nuns really taking care of dogs. But the problem is when the new people comes, all the dogs go there and chase after the new, new people who come to the nunnery. So one day me and my father having lunch together on the top of the nunnery, small room with huge window, so we can see entire nunnery. All the dogs are going down that time. And my father said, hopefully these dogs will not bite that new person. And then he said, actually the nature of dog and nature of you. And then here is a beautiful Buddha statue, Tanga statue. The nature of Buddha is same. And I thought, Maybe my nature and nature of dog might be same. <laughs> <laughs> my nature and nature of Buddha is same. It's impossible because I'm suffering. I'm having this panic attack constantly, you know. So I don't believe at the beginning. But of course, when we practice step by step systematically, we will discover, aha, each time. So this is the really beauty of the beauty of this uh, teaching and practice. It is what you're describing to me is really the essence of the path. The path is really realizing that it's always and already right here, that love and compassion and wisdom. And the challenge, and this is kind of what I wanted to talk a little more about, is just the way you thought you're a little bit more like the dog, you know, when we, when we bark, when we bite, when we hate other people, when we uh, are greedy, it's very hard to trust that basic goodness. And the more we're in a world that is, you know, the whole atmosphere of the world is very, it's uh, speeding up and there's a lot of fear and a lot of hostility. It's easy to get identified with those qualities and not realize that those qualities too have their same source and essence. So I wonder if you're speaking to somebody who has a lot of self-judgment for their for how much they judge and blame others, for their anger, for their hatred. How do you help them see those qualities as still part of mind essence? So 
first thing is what we call basically we need to connect with our consciousness so their their sense of cognizing sense of we are not unconscious the mind is kind of like awakeful so normally what we call the definition of mind is clear and knowing even your experience and confusion that confusion is clear to you <laughs> so that is the clarity so so connect with that one and then special we need to have step by step practice normally then first choose an object maybe sound just hear the sound knowing the sound being with the sound actually you are connecting with the awareness here just listen the way listen to sound what we call the sound meditation three things are important normally the first is judgment okay right is okay wrong is okay bala bala okay yada yada okay what i call monkey mind crazy monkey mind let crazy monkey mind come let crazy monkey mind go but you are still listening to sound as long as if you not forget the sound if you still hear the sound whatever sometimes i make joke joke that when you think about pizza don't say don't think about pizza don't think about pizza what happened actually you will think about pizza more so the the meditation technique here is when you listen to sound if the pizza comes let pizza come so maybe two pizza three pizza if 10 pizza comes as long as if you hear the sound pizza come uh, at the background go around no problem by doing that we are learning three importance first is what we call the wisdom meaning being with the sound as it is you don't need to change sound you don't need to get rid of anything as long as if you hear that's good enough so that is learning the wisdom second okayness that feeling of almost like okay with not okay all this bala 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 yada 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 let them come let them go actually you are learning love and compassion kindness self compassion number 3 but at the same time you are not totally lost you are remember the sound a glimpse of sound there's a presentness sense of being so that is the awareness so by listening to sound we are learning wisdom love and compassion and awareness so that's the first step then slowly slowly we can change visual object smell taste special sensation in the body then eventually you can do the same thing with the panic panic attacks so panic is just like sound you can learn this with the sound now you can learn this with the panic but of course at the beginning it's very difficult so at the beginning when i look at the panic overwhelm panic becomes stronger then normally what we call there's four steps first you watch and the panic become too strong try something different don't look at the panic listen to sound watch smell 
taste or work with small emotion. So for me, anger is not my major emotion. So I, I meditate with anger. Oh, okay, I can do this. Panic, no, no, no. Anger I can watch. So this is a try something different. And number three is what we call step back, meaning don't look at the emotion, but the emotion behind the emotion. So there's aversion, the, the dislike feeling, fear of emotion. Look at that. Even that doesn't work. Number four, my favorite. My favorite is take a break. Don't <laughs> <laughs> practice meditation. Go outside. <laughs> Physical exercise, read book or drink tea or do something else. That is also part of the practice. So there are four things here. It really resonates for me because it's an experiment as to what will allow you to gradually re-inhabit awake awareness. And sometimes if you try to look directly at something, it throws you off balance so much that you're in worse shape. So take a walk, have some tea, make sense. It's also a beautiful teaching about listening because sound ends up being for many people more neutral. There's less reaction to it. And it, as an anchor, as an object of attention, when you're listening, you open to a sense of space that you don't get if you're paying attention to the breath or the sensation. So I love that what you're suggesting, just to let sound be there and start to reopen to the space that's aware of sound. And then, of course, as we know, there's no real waking up unless we open to the somatic sensations. Um, you know, I think, is there, there's the word lung? Is that the word where the, the lung goes up and you just lose touch with the, the feelings that are there? So um, normally what happens is, um, yeah, lung, the physical body is lung, the mental is aversion. No, no, this is good. No, no, no. This is this not. Then the tension comes. Then you you will feel pressure here. Then what happened? You lost the present. You lost the body. Past, future, past, future. That's the then big problem. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, you it, for those of you listening and can't see Rinpoche, he's just he had his hands on his head. Is that the more there's a strong emotion and then the mental state is aversion and you your energy and attention goes right up there to where that reactivity is and you lose the presence of really inhabiting the full sensory experience. So so yeah, so the idea is to keep coming back down the throat, the chest, the belly, that's where, you know, the vagal nerve, which is where all the emotions run through. Those are the three main centers where it takes courage, but to keep coming back there, you then you discover again the awake, kind awareness that's there. And I found for myself over and over that when I can stay with the felt sense in the body, there's a natural tenderness that opens because it becomes clear that it's unpleasant and it's difficult, and yet there's a tender response to that. And that's another way that the compassion awakens. Yes. 
Yes. Let me tell you one story. While I'm doing this wandering retreat, so I went to Himalaya mountains. So sometimes we, we, in the Himalaya mountains, sometimes we have to walk for seven days. There's no car road, nothing. So then we met a people on the road and we become kind of friend and then, then we walk as a group. So normally I cannot compete the people in the Himalayan mountain because although I like walk, but I'm not so fast. So normally I wake up early morning and I walk first. So then I walk slowly, slowly. One day I forget to walk very early. So I'm become the last one. So then I look up. The first person is way up there, become very tiny. I look back. The last night destination is not so far. So then what happened? I'm jumping between past and future. Oh, last night destination, not far. Oh, too far. How I can reach up there? Oh, past, <laughs> future. Then suddenly my body become very heavy, unpleasant feeling throughout the body, tight. And I cannot walk very well. And I thought, oh, I learned meditation a long time. Even I can make friends with the panic. And what happened today? I forgot. And suddenly I let go. Let go of the future. Let go of the past. Just enjoy now. Just enjoy the walking. Enjoy the steps. Being with the body. And suddenly I feel light. And I don't care who they are, where they are. And in the end, I reached the first at the last destination because halfway they're having the local drinks and they just stay there. <laughs> I love it. I love it. And it really keeps pointing us back to the suffering is when we leave presence. Yes. It's just and any time we're not inhabiting presence there's a clench that we're identified with. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So let me ask you a very different kind of question. And it really comes to a sense of where the hope is right now, the wise hope in our world, because so many people are quite naturally gripped by a sense of, oh my gosh, these are terrible times and they're only going to get worse. And I guess part of my question is, do you feel that the human humans as a species, that our consciousness is evolving, even if it doesn't look that way right now? I mean, does it, do you feel like consciousness is evolving? Yeah, I feel that, of course, the world go up and down. But hopefully, we can learn from this up and down. And uh, in general, the world become peaceful. What I, what I said, since the, like 60 years before, there's a lot of war. If you say something wrong, they shoot each other. And now it's become less. And a um, lot of things improve with health, education. So many things are, in a way, is improved and peaceful. So we need to look at the positive aspect. The most important is, don't lose hope. Don't give up. So even though right now, very difficult time, 
the world is really facing difficult time. But I think we need to think about how, how we can learn from this, how we can grow from this problem, this obstacle. So like, like same like my panic attacks, um, almost die this experience. I try to learn from that. I try to face it. I try to transform it. And it works, even though it's a really, really difficult situation. So I think really important is collectively around the world. Don't give up how we can transform, change, and learn from this. I think really important. I'm right with you. I feel like if that is our inquiry, what can we learn? How can we grow? That that very inquiry actually makes us available to a universal wisdom that's waking up. So I love that. And I also feel a sense of, you know, compassion would have us respond to the suffering that is within and around us. And, um, you know, your near-death experience, uh, you kind of dissolved and opened and you very wonderfully didn't die because there was more left to happen for you. Um, but if we think of our earth, our larger body of the earth, as it's it's a it's a struggling, suffering, you know, organism that we're part of, and how do we, out of compassion, respond to that? To the very real, how our heating planet is really causing massive suffering for people. I think of Pakistan, you know, a third of Pakistan underwater, and all those people losing their life savings and their property and home and really um, just struggling now with famine and disease. So how out of compassion do we respond? So I think even though facing a lot of problems and difficult, but the world is based on individual. So we are the one that can change the world. Normally what happened is, I'm just one person. That's a big problem out there. Whatever I do, nothing changes. So I give up. So that's the biggest problem. So we all are connected. Whatever we can do individually, bring awareness, bring interaction, try to do something for the environment, try to bring some peace and special compassion with the wisdom is very important. What Dalai Lama said, only compassion cannot save the world. Compassion combined together with wisdom. Mm. Mm. Important. So many things that we can try according to our limitation, our resource, our education, our capacity. Then the entire world depends on the individual actually. Can change the world. I think sometimes if I think of myself as an individual, that's what actually um, gets me to feel overwhelmed and less hopeful. It's more when I think of it that you and I and so many care so deeply that we're really together um, helping our world wake up. That That's where I have the hope. It's, it's really sensing the collective. Yes, and collective start from the individual level. In a way, 
I hear the words, and yet when I begin to practice individuals, an idea that falls away. I think you're doing also your contribution, even having this conversation now, you and me, and probably there are many people also listening. So these are actually, we are doing our part. And, and everybody who listen this can influence maybe other three people at least. Big change also. And that three people can influence another three people. There's a ripple effect comes automatically there. I totally trust it. In fact, it can't not happen. We're all interconnected. So, you know, yeah, it has to happen. So I wanted to share with you, um, you know, in, in my own practice, one of the Tibetan phrases that has most helped me. It's almost like any time I reflect on it, it, it's powerful. And I was just wondering, I wanted to ask you to just maybe um, speak to that, is the phrase utterly awake, senses wide open, utterly open, non-fixating awareness. Yes. Yes. So this is the the innate wisdom that we all possessing the hmm, like for example i went to hike colorado in colorado there's a lake and uh, the lake is on the almost on the top of the mountain so i have to hike for four hours and i saw this beautiful lake crystal clean water and that leg is has like reflection of entire valley. There's a rocks, trees, deers also going, and everything manifests manifests in the lake. So happy. Then I still continue to walk one hour up, and then suddenly the weather changed, and the, so much there's a lot of cloud came, almost rain, and my friend said, "Now we should go back." So we come back, look at the lake again. Now leg become totally muddy. I was surprised. Where did these muds come from? My friend said, it's impossible to have mud here. It's, it's surrounded by rock and it's dry. Then we both went back and look at that lake. And actually, it's the cloud. The cloud, the storm reflection appear in the lake. But the leg is very clean still. So our mind, the fundamental quality of mind is like this pristine, pure, clean leg. But that leg has capacity to reflect. So that is what we call clarity, innate clarity. And that what reflects sometimes beautiful valley, sometimes cloudy storm. Sometimes darkness in the night. No matter how much reflection comes, lake is always pure. The water doesn't change. That reflection cannot change the lake itself. So this awakeful nature, the awareness, is always present. It is manifesting through our senses, through eyes, ear, nose, tongue, body, and also thought, emotion. 
all this panic, depression, stress is like reflection of stone in the leg. And this innate clarity, innate, the fundamental quality of our mind is always awake and always present. That's beautiful. That that image is just so powerful. And I know when I reflect on that phrase, you know, utterly awake, senses wide open, it's like letting those reflections happen. It's like being aware of all the different clouds and images that are reflected in the mind and and, and in the body, all the senses, everything that's changing, allowing it all to arise and then utterly open, not having attention fixate in a way that turns it into self and that turns it into something solid, allows a full kind of letting go into that clarity, into that wakefulness. Yes, of course, wonderful. And uh, the problem is that innate clarity cannot grab by conceptual mind. Mm -hmm. You can experience it. It is your own mind. We are experiencing that right now, right here. But when we try to think it, try to sense it, try to grab it, it it cannot. (laughs) So therefore, in this phrase says, let it be, it's just, just being. The only way is when you let it be as it is, it's just there. I, I almost want to just sit with those closing words that any effort to hold on or to make sense of or surround with concepts pushes away the reality and letting it be as it is. And that, as it is, uh, I think was Toko Ergen's book title, wasn't it? My father, the Drugo Ojanam, which is my father, I learned meditation from him. So this uh, this is the one of his book titled, Be As It Is. As It Is. Wow. This feels like a good place to let it be. And um, I just want to let anyone who's listening know that I will have, I will give you all the information you need about uh, Ninger Rinpoche's community and his books. And also I'll mention Tolku Ergen's book because as as it is, I think there's two volumes, one and two, were two of the first books that uh, most inspired me on the Tibetan path. So, you know, yeah. Yes. So I want to thank you. I, I so appreciate you getting to know you a little and having this time and sharing you with the community here. Thank you. And thank you so much. And I'm very appreciate to have this wonderful conversation. And really, I learned a lot too. Many blessings. Thank you. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.